<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome back to the Bill Crest Pod. The Black Lives Matter movement resonates with all of us, seeing so many millions of Americans of all ages, black and white, march to end systemic racism in this country. But it's especially meaningful to Congressman James Clyburn, one of three top Democrats in the House of Representatives, and as Democratic Whip, the highest ranking African-American in the U.S. Congress. Way back in 1960, as a young black man, James Clyburn himself was arrested by white police officers for protesting segregation. He's been on the front lines fighting for civil rights in the streets, in the courts, and in the Congress ever since. Today, Congressman Clyburn's at the heart of the action, helping lead America's response to the coronavirus pandemic, helping shape Congress's efforts to help American workers survive the economic crisis created by COVID-19, and now in the wake of George Floyd's murder, leading national efforts to deal with police department reform. He's a busy man, but Congressman Clyburn was kind enough to carve out a few minutes for us to give us his take on today's big challenges. Congressman Clyburn, it's very good of you to give us some time today. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Good to talk to you. So, Congressman, as, as a veteran of the civil rights movement, when you see so many millions of Americans of all ages and races protesting in the streets of America to end systemic racism, what does it mean to you? What do you see when you see all of these people marching? Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, uh, I have really been reminiscing a lot uh, lately. Uh, when I saw the reaction uh, to George uh, Floyd's lynching, um, I thought back uh, to the whole humness uh, that took place uh, throughout this country uh, during uh, the late 60s uh, over uh, the um, burning of buses uh, with students on them from the Freedom Rides. I thought about uh Philadelphia, Mississippi, uh, and the uh, killing of those three uh, uh, black, white, and Jewish uh, students. Uh, and of course, I thought back to John Lewis's uh, track uh, over the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And I said to myself, uh, this time, things feel a little different. And I would hope that this time we would not allow the sloganeering that took place uh, back in the 60s uh, to hijack this effort. And so I've been very, very cautious and very concerned uh, about that. And so that's why I've been uh, really pushing back hard on the sloganeering that's taking place, the sound bites 
that are being developed, the headlines that are floating around out here, uh, to hopeful that this time we won't repeat uh, the mistakes that took place the last time. And you're referring, I believe, Congressman, particularly to the slogan, defund the police, correct? Yes, that's one of them. Um, I am very uh, concerned about that. Uh, I know what people say it means. Uh, and all I say to that is, if that's what it means, then say that. Uh, don't use these slogans that will get headlines and destroy the headway uh, that we can make. You know, Congressman, uh, the Attorney General and the President of the United States, uh, they insist that there is no systemic racism in law enforcement in this country. Um, your experience and your history would tell you differently, I would imagine. Yes, and I think that their experiences would tell them differently if they were to tell the truth. This president knows what role he played uh, in the Central Park Five. He knows uh, what role he played uh, with the rental of his apartment units. Uh, he knows uh, that racism is institutionalized in this country. And if he doesn't know it, uh, maybe you ought to sit down in one of those history classes that I used to teach. I tell you, uh, you got to be on another planet if you don't know the difference. You know, Congressman, one thing that puzzles me is this is hardly with George Floyd's murder, um, the first case that we've had to deal with. I mean, I think back even recently to Trayvon Martin and to Tamir Rice and and to Eric Gardner. You can go all the way back to the Orangeburg massacre at South Carolina State 52 years ago. Why is this one different, do you think? What took so long to really wake up the American people? Well, Bill, this may surprise you, but I really believe that this today has roots in the Emanuel Nine. I think that this country started to take stock of itself started to re-examine its attitudes after those nine souls uh, were summarily murdered during their Bible study in the basement of an historic African-American church by a 21-year-old self-professed white supremacist. It was the, the reaction to that by the people there in Charleston when they stood several days later and looked at that young man and said, I forgive you. I think it was at that moment that a lot of people in this country, black and white, began to re-examine their attitudes. And I think that over the next uh, now five years, as of tomorrow, uh, when we celebrate the fifth anniversary of that, I think that's when it all got started. And now people are saying the, the, man, the families of the Emanuel Nine, the community of Charleston, the president of the United States who visited uh, that community and brought amazing grace uh, to uh, the country. I think that's when people started saying, wait a minute, we need to re-examine our attitudes. And so I think that that's what led to a lot of this. 
And do you believe that this time, there have been, a pro, of course, protests before, and then the protests go away and life goes on. Do you think this time it will be different, that there, this, this movement will lead to some real reform? I really think so. And that's why I have been pushing back so hard. And I've asked some of my friends and some of my colleagues uh, to push back on this as well. Uh, I would hope that we, having the benefit of history, as George Santiano once uh, warned us, if we fail to learn the lessons of history, we are bound to repeat them. If we learn the lessons that came out of the 60s, we would know not to allow ourselves to repeat those lessons, that, that history. And we could repeat that same history if we do not put these lessons uh, to practice. And so that's why I've been pushing back. So that, uh, that movement got hijacked with the mm-hmm. uh, burn, baby, burn headlines. And a lot of people were proud of themselves when they saw these headlines. I was never proud. Then John Lewis and I have talked about it often over the years, uh, how so much of what we did that could have been different if it had not gotten hijacked. And so I don't want to see this movement get hijacked. It is where it needs to be. Communities are moving. Uh, much like uh, Victor Hugo, uh, who wrote, nothing is more powerful in all the world than the idea whose time has come. The time has come. It's a great idea. Let's don't let anybody hijack it. Uh, and Congressman, what uh, I know you've been one of the leaders putting together the response of House Democrats uh, to the Black Lives Matter movement. But what are the kind of reforms that you'd like to see? I mean, how do you fix this problem? Is it better training? Is it, uh, uh, I don't know, better recruiting? Or what, what are the few changes you think are really necessary? Well, the big change has got to be the restructuring of policing. We've got to uh, dismantle a culture. A culture has developed. It's not about training. These people are doing things that they aren't trained to do. It's about a subterranean uh, activity taking place. There's something going on in pollution in this country that's outside of training. It's a culture that is developed that has to be dismantled. That's what we've got to do. Restructure, policing, dismantle this culture. And all of us can do that working together. We just cannot allow qualified immunity to be the order of the day because that's what reinforces this culture. And so I would say to Mitch McConnell or any of my friends in the Senate, if you got a problem with qualified immunity, you are trying to maintain a culture, a culture that allow police officers to shoot and kill a seven-month pregnant uh, woman or allow uh, uh, a policeman to uh, just shoot to death an unarmed, delirious man because you know that qualified immunity will allow you to get away with it. I guarantee you that's what was going on in that man's mind, that policeman in Atlanta, uh, who in all of this going on around him saw fit to shoot this young man in the back twice after talking to him so civilly for 20 minutes and then rather than let him go walk to his sister's house 
whether to handcuff him. Why? Because his culture says, this is one more black person that I can give a record to that will render him ineligible to vote and make him a second-class citizen for the rest of his life. That's the culture that's being perpetuated here, and qualified immunity continues that. Do you believe uh, that there are enough Republican senators who see, understand the problem and understand the need uh, to fix it, that we can get legislation through the Senate as well? Well, there are enough of them who understand it. We have to get them to vote when this president is off in another direction. That's another question. It'll take about 15 polls uh, showing him 15 points down uh, to change their minds. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll see those. Well, you know, after all, uh, Congressman, Donald Trump says, he said it again this week, that after Abraham Lincoln, he has done more for African-Americans in this country than any other president. Uh-huh. You, you've seen a few presidents. <laughs> Do you buy that? Well, you know, um, this president has a strange relationship with the truth. Uh, this president would know a fact uh, if we were sitting on his desk. Uh, so uh, we can give uh, credence to that if you want to. I would say to my friends in the Senate and those people who support him, many of whom are right here in South Carolina, show me one thing in this president's record that could stand up uh, to any one thing that Lyndon Johnson uh, put before us uh, back in 1964 and 1965. Where is the Civil Rights Act of 1964? Uh, Where is his Voting Rights Act of 1965? Uh, What he's doing is trying to take away a Affordable Care Act and Lyndon Johnson gave us Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, so I would like very much uh, for him to show me uh, just one thing that he's done uh, that uh, positively impacts uh, African American. There's not a single one thing he's done uh, that can do that. And what, what was your reaction, Congressman, when the president decides to start up his campaign again with a campaign rally? In Tulsa, Oklahoma, Uh, he did move it from Juneteenth to the following day, but still the site of one of the biggest uh, racist riots in this in this in this country's history, Tulsa, Oklahoma. What does that tell you about Donald Trump? Tell me two things about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is dedicated to two things. Number one, erasing everything he can possibly erase of a positive nature. Uh, coming uh, from the Obama administration. And number two, he is trying to reinstate everything uh, that came out of Woodrow Wilson's uh, administration. Uh, And he, uh, of course, is a big fan uh, of Andrew Jackson. So when you look at where this guy's uh, fan base uh, may be and where his head is, then that tells you all you need to know about this president. Uh, He hates the Bushes. Uh, I may not have agreed with the Bushes uh, on a whole lot, but I did agree with them on quite a bit. And I found them to be honorable people. 
Uh, and when he decided uh, that he would um, go and kick off his campaign in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I thought of Philadelphia, Mississippi, and Ronald Reagan. And it was because of Philadelphia, Mississippi, and Ronald Reagan's announcement or first speech uh, when he accepted his nomination, I could never, ever warm up to Ronald Reagan because I got his message. From the very beginning. And let's take a quick break on today's podcast with Congressman Jim Clyburn. Today's podcast with Congressman Clyburn brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Yes, those good men and women of the UFCW in our retail stores and our grocery stores on the front lines in these days of the coronavirus pandemic, doing a great job as always and taking their risks to serve us, the American public. We congratulate them for their good work, thank them for their good work under the leadership of President Mark Perrone, and we particularly thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at ufcw.org. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with Congressman James Clyburn, Democratic Whip of the House of Representatives. Well, Congressman, I know this is a very busy day for you, uh, uh, and you've got to go soon, but just I want a couple of real quick political questions before we let you go. Number one, a lot of people were surprised back in uh, the South Carolina primary uh, that with uh, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, two leading African-American senators in the race, that you ended up endorsing Joe Biden. Why? 
Well, took us along with my dear late wife, uh, who passed away last September. We were part of the, that group of people who encouraged Joe Biden to get in the race. Um, and there were others. Uh, we were just part of that. Uh, we thought uh, at the time, and I continued to believe that the most important thing for this country right now is for us to restore its goodness, its goodness that seemed to be dissipating with this administration. And we felt that the fundamental goodness existed in Joe Biden that allowed that to happen. Now, Kamala and um, uh, Corey all got into the race after we made those decisions. And uh, when we made them, I decided to stick by them. And on the morning of my uh, endorsement, uh, I had attended a breakfast uh, by the National Action Network that had just named uh, an award in my uh, late wife's name, and they gave, made me the first recipient of it. And Joe Biden came to it. And so all of those emotions were wrapped up uh, in that speech I gave that day. Uh, and I did so in her memory and in the, for the future of my three daughters. And now, Congressman, the most important decision immediately that Joe Biden has to make is that of his running mate, I know it's a decision he will not make without consulting with you. So if he hasn't already asked you, I'll ask you now, who's your top pick? Who's your top pick? Who would you tell him to take? Well, I don't have a top pick. I made it very clear uh, that there are several people that I think are very qualified. All, uh, there are, all of them are uh, black. Uh, they are black and white women. Now, he said he was going to appoint a, a, a woman, so I've only been concentrating uh, on women. Uh, and so there are quite a few. Uh, and I've uh, talked to uh, the campaign about them. Uh, and I think we ought to do the vetting. Uh, we ought to do the polling. And we ought to do what is necessary uh, to give uh, a candidate a choice that will be, as the vice president says, former vice president, simpatico with him. Do you think it's important, more important than ever after uh, the death of George Floyd, to, that it be a woman of color? Well, the woman of color would be a big plus. No question about that. But I've said before and I'll say again, it would not, it's not a must. It would be a plus. So finally, Congressman, um, I know you would be probably the happiest person on earth to have uh, a different United States senator representing South Carolina <laughs> next year. <laughs> uh, so tell us about the Senate race in South Carolina. Jamie uh, Harrison, a great candidate. Uh, what's, what's it look like? Jamie is doing great. Uh, and I think uh, he is drawing a contrast uh, between him uh, and Lindsey Graham uh, that needs to be drawn and is opening a lot of eyes. I think that people are getting beyond uh, skin color uh, now. Uh, they are getting beyond sloganeering, and they are beginning to look at the heart and soul of the candidates. And they see in Jamie the kind of experiences that they know will make him a good senator. Jamie will not go to Washington 
to hang out on a golf course with the president. He doesn't even play golf. Uh, he would go to Washington uh, carrying those experiences uh, that he developed here uh, as a child growing up in poverty, uh, getting beyond that and getting a scholarship to Yale, uh, going back home after he got his degree to teach school in the high school uh, that he graduated from, and then coming up to Washington uh, with me uh, at my invitation uh, to learn the ways of government. And boy, did he learn them. And he is now putting them uh, into practice. He is going to make a great United States Senator. All right. Following in your footsteps, Congressman James Clyburn, your good friend, and very good of you to take so much time for us today, Congressman. Be well, be safe, and we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode of the Bill Press Pod with Congressman James Clyburn of South Carolina. Thank you so much for joining us. And please, if you haven't already done so, please, please, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. It's easy. It's free. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, pull up the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and there you are officially a member of the team. And uh, tell your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, follow me on Twitter as well. It's not just Donald Trump on Twitter. I'm there every day. And uh, by following me on Twitter, you'll be updated on every episode of the Bill Press Pod. Follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. Again, thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>